Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our TSMU Q&A series. I'm your host, Jamel Aspern Hopkins. A real quick word about me. I am the UCI Esports Shoutcasting Manager, so I deal with training shoutcasters, hiring, recruiting, all that good stuff. And today, we're joined by a very talented and respected individual here, Ronald Renthara Lee. He is the assistant director, also coincidentally, at UCI Esports. So for this Q&A, as always, we are pulling questions from our TSMU Discord. So if you have a question, please feel free to head on over to discord.gg forward slash TSMU and get all your questions asked in that Q&A questions channel. So Ron, while we get everyone's questions in that chat, why don't you give us a little quick introduction about yourself, a little bit of your background? Yeah, uh, well, me and Jamel are fairly well acquainted, but for people that aren't uh, super familiar with me, my name is Ronald Lee, call me Ron for short. Uh, Renanthra is my full name, but Ren is much easier to say. Feel free to refer to me as Ren. Uh, you know, it's bonus trivia fact. It's actually a real word. It's a flower. Look it up. Be cultured. Um, but jokes aside, yeah, I've been here at UCI for almost four years now, uh, having the time of my life. Um, I started off as a collegiate player in Overwatch for the University of Toronto. Um, you know, things kind of took a life of their own, spiraled out, and uh, ended up coaching for a few professional teams. Uh, playing and, or not playing, but working for Team Canada uh, in years 2018, 2019. Um, but I've been in collegiate ever since, kind of done the whole uh, 360. And uh, yeah, today I'll answer any questions that might come up related to any of that. Awesome. Thank you for that background. We already got plenty of questions rolling on in. So question number one, Miss uh, iTrip asks, what level of expertise does it take to coach at a high level, such as like Overwatch League? What level of expertise? Interesting. Um, okay, well, I think generally uh, a lot of people assume you have to have the, the utmost pinnacle of, of game knowledge and everything. Uh, and there's a certain degree of truth to that, I think. Um, but I think more importantly than I think having every tiny little intricacy memorized or a little bit of uh, fun fact here is just broader conceptual knowledge. I think having that reliability between uh, patches and stuff is really important in a video game setting. It's not like soccer where things kind of stay the same forever. So your expectations really to be super studious and know everything front and back. Um, the next time they change a rule will be like every 30, 50 years or something. Um, but being adaptable in video games is arguably more important. Uh, I think having a strong backbone in that, preferably having a high rank or um, having spent a lot of time familiarizing yourself with materials would be certainly super, super helpful. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to be like, a grandmaster player or a top 500 player in Overwatch. Um, though it does help, a lot of things will transfer being a good player to being a good coach. Um, so cop-out answer, uh, as good as you can get, but the time you spent building on other skills probably matters more. Um, like Jamel uh, knows this, but I, I think it's the same as, as casting. You, there's no demand to be like a top 500 player to cast high-level Overwatch. Uh, it's more important to probably uh, be well-rounded and, you know, well-spoken, articulate, being able to break things down in a way that's digestible. Uh, aspects like that matter just as much, if not more, when you're coaching a high-level team. Um, and these players are great. They're good. They're really smart. They know the game in and out. Uh, being able to, like, get them to dig deeper, being able to facilitate strong conversations, further develop them and uh, push them beyond what they already know. I think that's um, indicative of a good coach more than, like, being able to list every single champion's abilities name in League of Legends or like all the damage numbers at every level. Gotcha. So just going like to, I guess, inquire further a bit, what are some of the skills you think you'd need to be coaching specifically? Like obviously, you know, you can be a high rank, but is there anything that like, let's say someone wants to break into the industry and they're a high ranking player, but they don't know how to really transfer those skills over? Do you think you need to get involved a lot with more coaching or teaching or maybe more on the analyzing the game what do you think uh probably depends on what you want to do uh, a lot of assistant coaches tend to be more strategically minded and lean that way um that's not always you know the the hard and fast rule but generally the head coaches are more quote-unquote like manager-ish every coach will have you know two sides of them and be uh someone with, with many layers, you'll have your strengths and weaknesses. Um, that's why you have large support staffs typically to help round you out. Um, but I would say, uh, 
when you're the head coach, especially a large part of your job is working with these players day in and day out. You are the number one support pillar on their team. So, um, especially over like a very uh, troublesome season, maybe you're not getting the exact results you want. Um, the mental state of players will change, and then you'll have teammates bicker. And uh, if you suffer a big loss, that dejection of defeats. But uh, also, maybe if you're winning a lot, well, then players could get overconfident or confidence or develop like pretty large egos. Um, so I think a top coach will be on that wavelength with your players, not only keeping their emotions in check per se, but finding out the ways to really utilize those strong emotions and getting those to better the team and the players, uh, making sure you're all pulling in the same direction, good or bad. Uh, teams will live and die based off their work culture. That is true beyond a fact. Um, you've had plenty of examples in, in both traditional sports and esports where you assemble an all-star roster, right? You have like the best player in every position, but things will fall apart despite on paper, maybe that being like the, the anticipated team to win. Um, I think I love that responsibility of making things gel and, and getting uh, the team to glue together, really unite is integral to being a successful coach. Awesome, very insightful, thank you. Another question rolling on in, Eric asks, how do you judge the performance of both an individual player and as a team as a whole? Is there like a metric, whether it's like, you know, track statistics, maybe like win rate, for example, or is it more intangible beyond just like winning games that shows like how well a team meshes? Okay, well, in, in Overwatch specific, I think this is a very interesting question. Um, Overwatch is pretty notorious for having a bad scoreboard. <laughs> um, it's, it's also pretty notorious for uh, the reasoning behind that as to kind of like level out toxicity and stuff. You can't really flame someone for having, you know, like abysmal damage compared to the enemy if you can't see it, um, which had the kind of inverse effect where people now uh, will, will use whatever as ammunition, you know, even if it's anecdotal um, or they aren't sure, uh, people are really quick to fire off. So um, that's one of the things, I guess, on a tangent, I'm glad Overwatch 2 is looking at. But mm -hmm. um, the reason I bring it up is because numbers are almost, how should I phrase this? I don't want to say useless, but they're a very small part of a bigger picture. Um, the numbers aren't so much as important as, as to uh, the context behind the numbers. So they can help, I think, start useful conversations or dialogues, but they aren't indicative of the exact problems, typically, um, especially in a game that's as fast moving and teamwork oriented as Overwatch, your DPS player having pitiful uh, damage numbers um, will tells you to kind of look at the scenarios as to why it might be inhibiting them from doing damage. Uh, but odds are, if you have a good player in your hands, it's not as simple as them just missing their shots and that's why you're losing. Um, there's a there's a microcosm of things uh, happening left, right, and center that could be contributing factors. So. Uh, when judging how a player is doing, it's important to be able to separate um, why they might be failing at a individual level. Mechanically is uh, the most pop popular one to choose from. Things like positioning and stuff also matter. Uh, decision making, uh, game modeling, uh, which I can talk a little bit about more. Um, that's basically just, I think, having a, a mental picture of what's going on in the map at any given time. Overwatch doesn't have a mini map like a game like a Call of Duty or Valorant might, no radar, something like that. So um, having that sixth sense is pretty important. Um, things like that, being able to separate those from uh, like greater team ramifications for why someone might be failing is really important. So separating the, the micro issues from the macro issues, basically, uh, I guess you could say in, under an umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, intangibles, like, like you mentioned, are... The, the, the end all be all, I think um, looking at stats doesn't tell me how like a, a player is communicating poorly. Maybe they're clouding comms, right? Or maybe they, they can be more succinct or precise with their information. Uh, maybe their calls are just flat out bad and players are committing to that despite maybe having a better idea. Um, so that's more of like a team chemistry thing. Uh, there's, there's plenty of reason things can go wrong, both uh, ruining your, your cohesion from like a teamwork level to minute kind of micro things. Uh, that's why having large support staff really helps, especially in a game like Overwatch. Having your more macro-oriented person, your micro-oriented person, maybe positional coaches, um, all those different POVs help you judge the performances at a way that is uh, fair and applicable to the situations. 
Okay. So going back and like from the coaching POV, and we had a question earlier about like what level of expertise, right? You need to be an Overwatch coach. How do you go about, you know, finding those issues and like dissecting those intangibles? Because like, obviously, like you said, it's very easy to like look at a scoreboard or look at a KDA and go, well, your score is low. So we're going <laughs> to drop you right. But that's like not how you do things, right? How does a coach like find those issues specifically? Is it like mainly in VOD review? Is it talking with the players or how would you go about it? Uh... I think things will typically show their signs pretty early. Um, mm -hmm. uh, again, because it's a plethora of things, oftentimes teams will have uh, particular people assigned to particular things uh, to keep an eye out. For example, in, in a couple of teams I've worked on, I was always the, the big macro guy. I was never uh, an intensive micro dude. Uh, I was not a big fan of kind of staying on a single rules POV and making sure that every single ability was used as optimally as possible. Um, I'm more of a big picture person, conceptually, what might work better here versus something else, stuff like that. Um, so very obvious to me, if, if like someone's communicating something and I think it's the wrong call, I'll be able to hear that myself and bring it up to, to, to the team. Um, maybe poke and prod some questions. Is this the best way to articulate this? Um, like the, the five W's, right? Who, what, when, why, why, how, stuff like that. Um, like, is this the best time to do this, right? Like uh, maybe the call or the play itself. Um, is there a better one that existed somewhere on the map that we're neglecting? Uh, did someone else say something and we just completely ignore them flat out? Um, or did that person maybe have a key piece of information that they didn't disclose because, I don't know, maybe they're just a quieter individual or they didn't think it was important? Um, I think being able to have like a bird's eye view of the game myself uh, and pick things out is my job. Um, but I guess as a bonus, it always helps a coach massively when you facilitate our culture where the players themselves. Uh, can help bring up these problems. Um, so I'm only a small part of, of the, the greater puzzle. Uh, I can't spectate six, or I guess in Overwatch 2, there's five uh, people <laughs> on my side, plus the other five on the enemy team, and catch every single mm -hmm. little thing. Um, I think broadening their scopes of what's important, what should bring up, uh, how to problem solve, is as much of an important part of the job as just giving them the answers. Um, eventually, you want them to be able to come up with all the questions they need to ask themselves really, really quickly, answer them efficiently between each other, um, and kind of let things run like a well-oiled machine. I, I can't sit behind them in a game and tell them everything what to do. So um, that's actually a large part of like the, the, the daily operation when you're coaching a team is just um, getting them to be self-serviceable. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay, thank you for your insight there. Another question coming through, Leanne asks, is there anything you learned while working with UCI that you've applied elsewhere or vice versa? What are some of the things you've learned in your coaching experiences that prepared you for working with UCI? Oh, I like this. Leanne, thank you for the question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think this one might be a startling one for some people. It might be counterintuitive uh, to um, what some people might have to say especially quote unquote bad players. Um, but when working in a pro setting and you're dedicating 100% of your time and effort on achieving something, um, and then moving to collegiate where you're splitting your competitive drive and responsibilities with the obligations of academics and school life uh, on top of just being a healthy, happy human being. Um, a excuse, quote unquote excuse, you hear a lot is, well, there's just not enough time in the day. Um, and having lived both experiences for a long time, I can say that that is untrue. I think there is enough time of the day. Um, quote unquote hot take maybe, but uh, I think having seen how people spend their time, um, they're shining star examples that I've worked with that totally make it work um, because they have very specific work-life values um, and they push really hard to meet those every day and they cater out um, to the T, to like the hour, maybe some, some even to like the minutes of uh, what they have to be doing every day to make sure their dreams are achievable. Um, and not everyone does that. It is a very stressful, um, I guess, life to live for someone that like isn't the utmost high achiever. Um, but that's why we have like staff on our team to help uh, make sure the players are getting the support they need to facilitate that sort of behavior. Um, so for people that don't know, UCI has like staff psychologists on hand that our players meet with like on a bi-weekly basis, sometimes just to talk about individual problems, sometimes uh, like group problems. But 
Um, an activity we do every year with players old and new is like a work-life values uh, exercise where there's like a list of like 30 or something values, right? Um, and then they have players narrow them down like uh, two thirds. So you go from 30 to 20, for example, and then you cut that in half. So now from, from 20 to 10 and then lower and lower five until you're down to three work-life values uh, that are really, really important to you. They could be like achievement, it could be growth, it could be happiness, um, it could be freedom, uh, general things like that typically. Uh, and then once you've kind of start cutting, you realize it gets harder and harder to really um, isolate the most important things to you as a person. Um, and once you finally have those three, dialing down and kind of like digging your heels in and saying, okay, these are the things I care about. I'm going to live my life this way. Uh, we start to, the part of the exercise is to then attach uh, like verbs to each of those things. We'll put like, uh, make them actionable. So if your value is happiness or growth, for example, well, now your action for that might be, well, I want to live happily, whatever that might mean. Or if it's growth, well, I want to, um, you know, practice to see measurable growth every day or, or whatever. Um, then as a bonus exercise after that, we have them carve out like a pie chart. Uh, and we, tell, we say, hey, honestly, no judgment. Just tell us on average, like what is your, your breakdown of how you spend your, your day in 24 hours? And then we, when players are really honest, you get to see, well, okay, I hang out with my girlfriend for like four hours a day, or like I'll play solo queue for like eight hours a day and I don't do any homework, or I sleep maybe only six hours. Um, I relax for two hours watching TikTok videos, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, then we send them back home. They can reflect on their, their values. We say, okay, come back with your new 24-hour idealized breakdown. Like, how do you actually think you should spend your time if you want to achieve the things you want to do? And then it'll look radically different. And it turns out all the things they want to do, you can fit in 24 hours. You just have to be very intentional and specific. Um, and this is for a collegiate player that has to juggle a bajillion things. Uh, if they can do it, I think anyone can do it. So mm. I think I forgot the scope of the original question, but if it was something along the lines of like, um, like what's something I learned at UCI that I'll take elsewhere? Yeah. I think that, I think that is that you, you can do whatever you want. You just have to be really, really intentional um, and really good at like time management and habit building. But it is not an excuse to be like, oh, there's not enough time in the day. I think that's false. Gotcha. So drop the boyfriend, drop the girlfriend, go all in on eSports. That's what <laughs> so, I'm here. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions. Um, hard decisions. I, I certainly couldn't do it. I'm not saying you have to. Mm -hmm. Like, I, If I had to make those decisions, that's hard, right? Um, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's not, like a, it's not as easy as saying, oh, I don't have the time. Technically, you do. You just have to make choices. Um, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's why I have so much respect for professional players. Like they, they are willing to do so much to work so hard and... Um, I think a lot of players just chalk, or, or I guess viewers uh, chalk it up to like, oh, they can click heads good, right? That's part of it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mechanics and all, practice and all, but um, time and dedication to sacrifice is a big deal, and they've they've earned whatever they they've gotten to. Okay, well, awesome. Thank you for your insight there. Prem asks. What is the process you have where you decide as to what warrants having a collegiate team within your esports program? So I guess it's like, what's the justification for having an Overwatch team versus another title for a collegiate? Okay, so what what warrants having a collegiate team within your esports program? So like a specific. Okay, okay, mm -hmm. um, that's a good question. I have to answer emails about this all the time. There's a, <laughs> a lot of people will pop in it's like, hey, why don't you have a um, a Rocket League team? Or like, oh, why don't you have a Call of Duty team? Um, so I'm, I'm very well acquainted with the question. Uh, so for context, for people that don't know, UCI currently has two titles, League of Legends and Overwatch, but we're expanding to a third in Valorant coming this fall. Um, that is a, that is an official thing we're doing. We haven't uh, posted like a broad announcement cause we're waiting kind of on, on Riot's approval, uh, for like hard dates and times, but I can confirm it here. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, as are a lot of programs, really excited. Um, why do we expand to like say Valorant as opposed to Call of Duty is a fantastic question. So first of all, <laughs> uh, we typically support, um, going with titles that have first party, uh, developer support. Um, if your title, it doesn't have like, um, that line of, of, 
I guess, faith in its own product, we, we don't bother, um, which some esports do, even if we don't carry, which makes it only part of the problem. Uh, the other part is campus approval. Um, we can't play Call of Duty because the violence depicted is a little too realistic. Um, the tone of Call of Duty is not like a fantasy, imaginary sci-fi universe shooter, like maybe your Valorant or your Overwatch, where they have like superpowers and stuff. It's kind of like a Marvel movie. Uh, Call of Duty is more like obviously uh, grounded in reality, uh, minus the zombies and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But even then, like the guns you're using are real life guns, and the the, the factions, quote unquote, and the and the things that are going on are based off of real world events um, or largely inspired by. So right. that doesn't fly with our campus. Uh, certain other universities are okay with that, um, but we ours personally has that that line in the sand. Um, so what might go for us uh, or others might not go for us, I guess. Um, as, as an other aside, uh, the, the more obvious one that I think a lot of people tend to happen to forget about is just budget. Uh, if we had a professional, quote unquote, like scholarship varsity team or whatever, for every single esports under the sun, uh, we'd get a lot of trouble. We'd have no money. There'd be uh, nothing left. We would, the, the, the program would dissipate in like a, a couple of months, honestly. Um, so we have to be pretty picky choosy about the titles we want to support. Uh, we have to have faith in the title itself. Um, we have to believe it's scalable. Uh, we have to have um, some sort of dialogue or conversation, typically with the developer directly, to kind of see what their heads are at. Um, it's not as simple as saying, okay, well, uh, Fortnite just got a big expansion with like a bunch of Street Fighter characters, and everyone's really hyped about that. So now we start a title. Um, we have to consider the budgetary uh, concerns for hiring staff, right? Scholarship for all the players. How might that take away from other things we're working in the program? Um, like we do other things like uh, having interns and stuff like Jamel himself um, that we have to be concerned about. There's like a set limit to I think the things we can get involved in. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of variables there. I'd be happy to talk more about it at length if anyone's really curious. Um, because I know it's a big topic. There's a lot of big games out there we don't support. Um, and it's a question of do we, don't we often with uh, weighing if something else we currently have is more important. So um, yeah, it's a glimpse into, I guess, uh, the things we do around here and what makes those decisions palpable or not. Mm -hmm. To follow up on that, like, I guess, like, hypothetically, if budget wasn't an issue, do you think, like, in an ideal program, right, would it be yeah. good to have, like, a wide breadth of games? Or do you still think there's value in, like, hyper fixating on a couple of titles if, like, money is not an issue? Oh, that's a good question. If 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 Elon Musk uh, gave me 40-something <laughs> billion dollars right now, um, mm -hmm. I would invest in, like, a lot of esports. I think um, playing wide is typically safer. Um, if if you have the money to do so. Um, those that hyperfixate, I think they have to have um, very specific goals, uh, may it be, or, or reputations to maintain in a title. Um, we're coming to a really cool time in esports. This is a small tangent, uh, where now that a lot of the quote unquote tier one and tier two esports have taken their, their holdings on uh, all the eyeballs, all the viewership numbers and stuff like that. Um, there'll be a certain point where the next new thing comes out and then uh, that competition will either will you'll see you'll see one come out of the ring uh, one will survive and one will die then we'll have to have the conversation with well what happens when you have to sunset a title um, like League of Legends has been around for over 10 years now uh, I think it'd be foolish to think it'd be sitting around forever um, I'm, I'm not rooting for League of Legends downfall or anything I would love to see it exist for another decade yeah the um, Overwatch coach is not rooting for League's downfall <laughs> No, I, I, I listen, I played a lot of League 2. Um, and as bullish as I am on Overwatch 2, I, I am not, uh, I don't know, blind enough to assume that, like, oh, yeah, a new title comes out and it's, everything is going to be fine for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, that happens in Collegiate 2. So if I had all the money, I'd pick my favorites plus a couple I think had potential and see where it goes. But even then, we don't support them forever. There'll be times when push comes to shove and then you'll have to let go. Um, and I think that's really normal for esports given how video games work. Um, and where's it going with this? Oh yeah, well, we're, we're going to be at a time where I think honestly, in the next few years, we'll see teams start to second guess. Well, is it worth having an Overwatch team? Is it worth having a Call of Duty team? Is it worth having a Rocket League team? And that'll be uh, scary and exciting because that means 
probably there's a new kid on the block that's doing really well and people are excited about. Um, but also like what, what, what goes from there? Like, do we, um, you know, try to try to cling on and hang on because we have an obligation to these students or, or maybe even to the developer or the title? Um, or do we kind of like cut ties because, you know, you're not pulling in the, the numbers or the uh, interest that we previously thought you would. So interesting. Yeah. Being dynamic, I guess, is the name of the game there. Let's see. Donovan asks, have you ever encountered issues when it comes to the university opinions on the legitimacy or the value of an esports program? So a little bit relevant, you're talking about how like, you know, certain titles are you can't touch because of the university. Um, yeah. So any, what are your thoughts on that? And then the follow up, if so, how do you overcome those issues? I mean, you might be fairly familiar with this, right? Like even within our, our own program and stuff, students are always like, why can't we do this? And I'm like, mm -hmm. because we're not allowed. Um, <laughs> and, and although UCI is like the, the, the like um, golden child of esports for collegiate, at least, it's like we, we've their, we're the premier esports program in North America, right? Um, the first one. That doesn't mean campus loves us. In fact, uh, it's, it's pretty hard or cold. Some people do love us um, and we get a lot of support from certain um, you know, departments, right? But <laughs> there's others that are like, okay, so they get all this attention, but it's just video games. There's still that disconnect, um, even within just the, our single university. Um, yeah, we're super privileged to have that element of support still. It's a big reason why we continue to succeed. Um, but trust me, it's not perfect all the time. There's plenty of people that are always like, okay, well, they get this cool facility and arena on campus, but we can't have X. Um, that still happens. It's, it's campus politics. That is a thing that exists. Um, like just, I can, I can speak about like an experience we had like last week or a couple weeks ago where like we do campus tours. We do like arena tours, right? You're in all the time. You help with those Jamel, um, yeah. people come in, you see the place, you give them the spiel, right? Um, well, like uh, another person from a department will be like, oh, like you guys just do this all the time. Like you don't have to sign waivers and stuff. Um, and we were like, no. That's just, it's like a natural part of what we do here. It's like an everyday occurrence. Um, it's like part of our daily operations. It's not a risky thing we have to get permission for. Um, like parents will come in with their kids. Sometimes we do field trips for, for high schools or whatever. It's all good. Um, but then that person like caused a stir. They're like, how come they don't have to do it? Like, like we have to do it. And then, uh, then we had to answer emails with people that don't understand esports. It's like, yo, you should do that. And we're like, no, we shouldn't. Here's why. It's like, do you have to sign a waiver to like, like have a kid come to the athletics program and check out the gymnasium? No, that's ridiculous. It's not a like high risk uh, kind of kind of event. It's not like a big scale thing where we have to get hundreds and hundreds of people to sign off on. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Short answer: Yes. The short answer is definitely yes. We we always uh, encounter issues. Um, for us, they're probably more minimal. Um, than like your fledgling program, but it's not a perfect, uh, you know, cross pollination between us and athletics or student affairs. That's not the case. There's always minor tension, if not major tension, depending on what's going on. Um, part of my job is to like explain, here's what esports is. What this is why it's not high risk, or like this is why it's worthwhile. Um, here's the value we can provide to people that don't understand. Okay. So yeah, it even. We struggle even at the top, quote unquote. So, <laughs> but time do you changing, have, right? I, I don't want that to yeah. be negative. I don't want that to be like, oh no, everyone hates us all the time. That's not true. People, most people no, yeah. us, uh, become very appreciative, like are parts of our, our community lovingly. Um, but yeah, like uh, just like social media, like not everyone's going to be a biggest fan. Not everyone's going to completely understand what you do. Part of what we do here, uh, I guess appropriately as a university is to educate, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you are like a fledging program or you're just starting out, right? Are there any talking points you notice that seem to help convince people? Like whether it be, I know with ECI Sports, we have our five pillars, right? But is there anything like if you had to start a new program and you had to convince the university, you would be bringing up like the benefits of having a program? Uh, constantly. We got a lot of emails about, um, it's like, hey, we're X school, high school, college. We're starting our own program. You have any advice? Um, Subtle plug, we do have our tools for school at <laughs> eSports Wiki if, you wanna, if you're one of those people and need help. That does exist as a resource that we created. Um, but yeah, parents all the time uh, or administrators from schools all the time struggle, I think, foremost with why are video games like beneficial? They're really popular. We get that. But like, how could having one of these on our campus 
putting money into it, especially, um, be useful. Um, and they have to be explained to, well, um, it's a strong tool for building community, for example. It's like it's a social uh, event. Like your kids aren't just sitting at home alone on the computer digging into all sorts of nonsense. Um, they're building core, uh, sorry, core social skills, for example, right? Problem-solving skills, for example. Um, Hand-eye coordination, for example. Um, a, a lot of that fight will be breaking that stigmatized of the Dorito dust gremlin right. that like doesn't talk to anybody and is like really antisocial and uh, toxic on the internet, um, throwing slurs left and right. Like that's not true at all. Like a gamer can come in any shape, size, and color. They can be male or female or anything in between. And um, like that is surprisingly a large part of the job is explaining. Okay, well. Um, like this will drive admissions higher potentially, right? Like, like your kids coming in here um, won't just be one and done, go in, headset on, and then tune out of the world for a bit. Like they're actually using um, the powers of like online to connect with others, to expand their horizons, to build new skills. Um, like video games aren't just all violent. Some of them are literally strictly for, for uh, like creative expression, like Minecraft or Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley. Um, stuff like that, like fighting games teach different uh, skills like uh, timing, diligence, patience. Um, like we all come in, I guess, a broad array uh, of skills and talents and interests. And um, parents especially are like, well, okay, we get that. Like, they're, well, how's that still not a waste of time? Well, you can marry a lot of those skills and interests into getting good jobs. Like you can go into like marketing or business or education or production or entertainment or competition, be a pro player, coach, whatever. Um, I, I think a lot of programs are saying, okay, these kids are going to come in, their grades are going to suffer. They're going to play by themselves. They're going to try to go pro and they're going to fail. That's not true. Um, mo like we make sure really hard here, especially at UCI that everyone has a backup plan that people know what sort of opportunities lie beyond Programs like TSM University exist. We do things like this precisely. So um, we're slowly breaking down that stigma. Mm -hmm. I really like the point you brought up about like, you know, jobs. It's like a wide variety beyond just, um, you know, being a professional player. I mean, my own personal experience too. My parents were not happy that I, my hobby was playing video games. And yeah. it was nice to come back and say, yeah, I, I work as shoutcasting manager and all that good stuff. But yeah, there's a lot I of opportunities. Yeah. yeah, People rely on me. Right, mm -hmm. I'm I'm educating others and teaching others. I made a lot of cool friends. Right, I have a. Like, I wouldn't say that. Not a, my program, but yeah, other people. Of, outside of me, <laughs> you probably have a lot of cool friends. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, thank you for that one. We got another question. When analyzing the growing landscape of collegiate esports, do you feel that collegiate esports will soon start to see things such as oh, trading players, competing contracts in more abundance? That's a interesting one. Uh, yes and no is a good question. This is something that has actually already happened. Um, there's been a few uh, events in which like a player says, okay, I'm going to X school, um, not for the education or the school itself, the academic element. I'm going here because of the esports program, um, which is, I think, like a double-edged sword. Uh, it's really cool that it's a thing that players can utilize, especially highly talented ones, to pursue an education where maybe otherwise they might not have been able to. Um, but if your sole focus is purely an esports program at a certain institution, um, the question then calls like, well, is going to like a post-secondary institution maybe the best choice for you? Um, you know, you don't want to see people doing the exact thing I said and kind of proving us wrong where they go to a school only for an esports program and then like, don't talk to anybody, don't work on their grades, just like fail out. Right. Um, so that is a thing that, that is happening. There are players that maybe are an amateur and kind of want to quote unquote have a safety net. So they go to school in the meantime and compete to the school that'll pay them the most or will cover their tuition. Um, that, that is happening. That does happen. Um, maybe. And, and there were, sorry, as an extension, it also so happens that uh, schools will compete for such players. There's not uh, a ton of super highly competitive near pro level players that are looking to go to college in the first place. So what happens a lot is they'll entertain offers from many other schools and then there'll be kind of a, 
not bidding war in the same sense that like pros do where they can get up to like millions of dollars but they'll see like who can sweeten the deal the most and um as an aside from the esports program what incentives at the school does it have to make it more appealing um so yes i do think it'll become more abundant um i do think that uh, as programs grow they'll try and obviously attract the best talent that they can uh under the stricter budgets and things like that that they're allowed um but what i also anticipate growing is regulation around that i don't think it's a healthy thing to have um i know in like college basketball and stuff like that they do things like uh, like combines and stuff and then schools will pick uh well sorry will compete for like the best players and stuff that are available at the moment um i think that stuff is, is okay kind of in a public forum um but there should be regulation against more or less like private or poaching uh, as people popularize it um, kind of uh, of colleges players and stuff like that. Cause we, we shouldn't be just grabbing the players the best they can, regardless of their education um, or their ability to keep up uh, at UCI. The demands of a student are really, really high. So for that reason, we can't just grab like your player who might have, you know, struggled in school a little bit more, might not be uh, equipped to maybe take on those pressures. Um, just because they're really good at a game, we kind of have to play that that line a little bit more than another school might. So um, that's just contextual for for I think what's going on right now. But yes, short answer, I think it'll grow. But to combat it, I also think regulations and rules and guidelines will um, come into place to prevent it from taking over. Mm -hmm. Let's say you are like you're you're the top zero point zero one percent of whatever like esports title you're taking part of, right? Would you say that taking the path of you know collegiate esports then going into professional play is better than going straight in, or do you think that you know if you're already that good and your grades may be whatever, do you think it's better to just jump straight in the professional play if you can? This is so interesting of a topic. Um, my heart is now the, the where I am now, like currently aligned with. I think that like. Eventually in the future, um, developers should be really careful uh, to streamline their amateur path to pro quote unquote scenes um, very tightly with collegiate. I think um, it has happened so quickly, like the growth of esports, that a lot of kids jump into pro when they're fresh 18. They play for a few years, and then once they're done, not every pro has the transitionary skills to immediately go into a job. A lot of them will naturally have to fall back into going to school or something. Um, but then there's also fallback discussions of like, well, should they be allowed to play collegiate because they've already played pro? Um, most of the time people are like, yeah, it's fine. You're a student looking for an education. Why not? Um, but there's like other sports, like traditional sports that uh, serve as an analog that actually wouldn't allow that because you've like competed for money. Now you can't compete in like the NCAA or something. Um, so that's why I personally think eventually it'd be amazing if there was a pipeline that didn't force students, young players, uh, um, young fledgling talent to have to pick between chasing their dreams and this really risky path where you have nothing to fall back on um, or, you know, the quote unquote worse path where, uh, oh, maybe you can't spend as much time practicing and stuff because you have to double on school. Um, I'd rather everyone become well-rounded, strong individuals and like study and, and schools will teach you plenty of worthwhile teamwork skills, trust me, uh, just as you would learn in a pro setting, maybe better ones at that because people won't take your shit in university. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think personally that every pro scene should eventually pipeline into collegiate. You have players kind of play through there. Um, for a couple of years and then go pro. If you're called up early, great, but um, they should be the one and the same, amateur and collegiate, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Okay, really quick, just because there's a couple more questions we do have to get through. But what do you think is the best title for that collegiate to pro like pathway? Which title right now is? Uh... Yeah, even if it's not that good, just what is the best out of everything? None of them are great. I think. <laughs> None of them are great. I think Overwatch actually, not biased by the way, completely objective. Mm -hmm. um, the, like I think Overwatch actually does it okay, like fairly well. Um, it's not perfect, but there are the most examples of collegiate players going to the Overwatch League than there are in any other esport. So that makes it mm -hmm. pretty unique. 
Um, like we just had the thing that happened um, with Redbirds, uh, Illinois State. They had picked up an entire contenders team pretty much, which is a conversation on its own, right? But they picked yes. up these these uh, kids, you know, between the ages of like 18, 19, 20, uh, they're looking to go to school and were previously just kind of playing from home, hoping they made pro, gave them temporary home, pay for their tuitions, gave them a place where they can start developing a backup plan in case things don't work out. Turns out all these guys were insane and then got picked up to pro anyway, which is fantastic. Um, but where in a, any other title has that happened? <laughs> like nowhere else. So that's pretty cool. Um, Northwood just had one of their players picked up Landon. Um, that happens. So yeah, it's, it's, I guess the precedent has been set with Overwatch that you can actually do that. You can pick up a whole team. They can play for, for you, uh, for your school for a year and they get picked up to pro. Um, so yeah, it goes to show like collegiate didn't stop them. They were able to go to school. They were able to compete. They got spots on owl teams, despite other people playing quote unquote full time in tier two or whatever. So, um, if they can do it, anyone can do it. Sounds good. Ooh, this one a little more relevant. What are your meta predictions for Overwatch 2, if any? Ooh. Okay, I think there's some characters that you just like, can't play, um, give, like, given like certain map design elements and stuff, currently as it is in the beta right now. Um, there's some characters like Ash that were really, really good before because like more... Uh, a little bit slower paced maps existed where you can kind of like perch over things at like a nice mid range and you can play there forever, like 2CP. Um, they removed that game mode. It doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> so when your best game mode doesn't exist, I don't think you see play. Um, I also think like a lot of people are really hyped up on Doomfist and stuff right now, Dive right now. I'd agree with that. Um, when the target area for a, a lot of ways to beat people will revolve around killing supports, uh, Dive must be good. Um, but I don't think it's going to be like a 100% pick every single map, every situation type of thing. Um, I think because new game modes are introduced and new maps are introduced that encourage you to kind of keep pace, um, push being the, the obvious one, uh, that it'll be easier instead of just repositioning things all the time to just have like a death ball constantly move and you can circumvent the issue of, well, how do I protect my dying support all the time to just okay, well, our, our, our supports are now with us all the time. We don't have to worry about them. We can just play that way, front to back. Um, so I anticipate Dive being good on maps with strong elevation where you can kind of, uh, especially uh, maps with a capture point, like hybrid, um, where you kind of stage your attack, be really picky and choosy about your timings um, and take strong proactive fights that way. But for maps where things are always moving, like escort maps, payload maps, um, things like push as well, I do think you'll, It'd be likely we see a lot of brawl style comps persevere, um, despite I think like early impressions. Uh, I don't think it'll be really easy to play push with dive. I think with how fast it moves and how back and forth it is, um, maybe I'll be proven wrong. But it seems like a lot of coordination is is going to need to to happen all the time, and things are going to be moving uh, at like a breakneck speed that means if you're going to play dive you're gonna to have to be like really self-sufficient um or also get punished really hard so that's mm. that's my two cents i think i think dive and brawl depending on map uh, i don't think you can play poke at all um we would be happy to be proven wrong by like a crazy widowmaker player or something um but yeah those are my initial predictions gotcha so insta lock that doom fist at genji every single matchup here so for our next question what is your thought process going into high stakes matches? So I guess you can kind of answer both from you know the player perspective and the coach perspective. So why don't you give your thoughts on both? Uh, they're the same for me. Oh. Um, for people, for, for quote unquote normies, um, if you watch basketball, you might know who Doc Rivers is. Uh, Doc Rivers is a former NBA player, but he's now an NBA coach. I think he's currently coaching for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I love sports ball. Anyways. Uh, I, he, he once said, um, keywords that pressure is a privilege and I resonate with that a lot. Um, I think in high stakes matches when, uh, tempers run high and, uh, you know, nerves will be strung up and, um, anything could happen. 
that recognizing that not everyone gets the opportunity to feel that is an honor in and of itself. Um, when you were in a scenario where you're like, let's say, trying out for a team as a player, it's between you and maybe a couple of other people, um, having that those butterflies in your stomach is proof that you're doing something great. It's proof that you're on the cusp of um, getting to do something that no one else might be able to do. Uh, and then utilizing, I think, that anxiety for good, having it, having it push you forward, uh, is how every athlete should approach um, high-stick situations. I think if your approach is, I guess, trying to relax, calm down, get rid of the anxiety, um, sure, you could do that, but then you're not utilizing it to elevate you to further heights. Um, so those words have always stuck with me. Uh, I would say Doc Rivers' advice is really solid, and I encourage people in similar situations to uh, take it as an opportunity and not like as a, an obstacle. So with Overwatch League Season 5 starting on Thursday, what are your top teams to win it all based on roster lineups alone? On very lineups very alone? easy question for you, obviously, being the mastermind behind everything. Uh, I think a lot of people will naturally pick Shanghai Dragons um, coming off as champions from last year. Uh, and also because their roster is still stacked. They haven't made many changes. Um, they might have picked up like one or two players. Uh, but it still looks very strong. I would say they're the obvious bet. Um, if I'm going for not a cop-out answer, uh, <laughs> I would lean... I would lean either Ellie Glads or Dallas Fuel. Ellie Glads, I think... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, someone in, in chat. Uh, I think they might have the largest roster currently to date um, at like 10 players or something for, for like a 5v5 game. Um, maybe last maybe like nine or something, but that's a lot. Uh, and I think they've done a good job to prioritize a quote unquote carry player, a hard carry in every single role. Um, you have the nice mixed team as well, which gives them, um, I think, uh, honestly, an, an, an element of surprise. Uh, I, I know a lot of people think like the all green teams are typically the best. Uh, historically, they have been. But working on mixed teams myself, uh, there's a lot of unique insights that you get from like different cultures and opinions, and it could really breed, um, you know, cool, innovative things. Uh, I also think LA Glads um, have all their bases covered uh, between all the players that they've had. Uh, Patsy Fan coming straight from Valorant is a surprising move, but I always thought that guy was absolutely correct. Um, they have Ons coming back as well, uh, the best hit scan in the league. Um, that's debatable, but one of the best, if not the best. Um, I also think Kevster's great. So I, I would say Elite Glads. Um, and Dallas Fuel has Fearless, who a lot of people think is the best tank in the league. They have Sparkle. Uh, a lot of people think is the best flex DPS in the league um, between him and Fleta. So in a game where DPS gets to run wild, having any of those guys on your roster is a obvious big advantage. Um, I could see any of those three taking it uh, on any given day. Um, I would be surprised if Shanghai was not the best uh, in the APAC region. Um, but I guess for, for the Western region, I, I, would, I would say Dallas Field maybe is a little bit better, but uh, neck and neck. Okay. So got our early predictions out the way. So another question, more in line with your coaching experience, but... What factors play into building a strategy against another team? So I guess like anti-stratting or like how much you look <laughs> up the other team, things like that. That's a good question. Uh, a lot of things, a lot of things. Schedule, like some answers you might not expect are like schedule, uh, preparedness, um, matchup dependent, like strengths and weaknesses, uh, morale at the time even. Uh, I, I think um, my protocol is always just to like respect the opponent. Um, beat them fast, flatten them, get it out the way. Uh, I'm not a big fan of like cheese and stuff like that. But that being <laughs> said, uh, all is fair in love and war. And sometimes, you know, let's say you're playing against a team, you know you're obviously better. You're just out stat sticking them, individual, individual, you know you're better, right? Um, you don't have to like reveal your cards. You can play literally whatever they're playing. Um, 
you know, rely on your strong conceptual knowledge and, and, and fundamentals and beat them that way. Uh, sometimes it's a little dicier. Sometimes maybe it's close or you, you think, well, some of their players are really good. They might have an edge uh, in certain ways. Then an element of surprise will be really, really useful. Uh, maybe an unconventional map pick, maybe an unconventional hero pick. Um, it, it all... Uh, there's, a, there's a large, scary math equation here uh, somewhere. And I think it's... Um, I never walk into like the, the locker room meet up with the, with the other coaches and say, um, okay, well, we'll do what we did last week. Uh, we really take it like a game at a time. Um, sometimes it is that simple that, okay, well, next week's game is just as easy as this week's game. We can run the same thing while we draft for something else and keep that in the wings. Um, sometimes we're pleasantly surprised by another team's performance or they're playing something different or the meta changes. And suddenly like now we're scrambling to figure out uh, what's optimal, what maps we want to play, stuff like that. It's hard for me to give you an explicit, like simple two sentence answer. Um, that's just the nature of coaching though. I think that's part of what makes it fun. Uh, like esports is really cool because video games change all the time. Um, and for that reason, you're always kind of staying on your toes. Um, a problem that is never solvable truly. Uh, so take that how you will. I'm sorry I couldn't have <laughs> like, a, like a cheat sheet answer, but that's that's just the way it is. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's a good answer. It's always just being on the fly, being able to adjust, yeah. Um, what tools or metrics do you use to help your players get better? So I guess it's not just pure advice, but like, is there anything you do, whether it be like training regimen or how do you, what do you think? Yeah, it'd be cool if we had like a strict curriculum. Um, we kind of do. We have, we have certain things in place and like uh, certain uh, activities we do pretty uh, routinely. Um, let's, let's take this in two parts. I guess for, for tools, um, for Overwatch explicitly, insights.gg, subtle plug, is an awesome resource. Um, we mainly use it for uh, the composited 2D maps they have of all the maps. Um, trying to, like Overwatch doesn't have a mini map, so trying to go over things without it would be nearly impossible. It is definitely our most used third-party tool uh, that exists. Um, that helps us do our drafts, help us come up with our, our formations, our strategies, when to switch. Um, such and such, really, really cool. Uh, as for um, replay and things like that, Overwatch has its own built-in replay viewer that's actually really, really good. So um, we use that most of the time. Um, for practice, there's the scrim codes that come with uh, aggregate data and, and like their community scoreboard, I should say. Um, that's also really handy, and we use those as well. Um, those are the only quote unquote, like hard tools we use, stuff we use all the time. Um, as for, I guess, curriculum or training players, uh, th there's the things you might typically expect. Um, we VOD review, we do scrims a lot. We have, uh, surprisingly, team bonding is a big part of this. Um, One-on-ones is a huge part of it. Uh, our standard day is not as long as you might think because we're a collegiate program, but it's probably a review of the day or some sort of conceptual lesson, something we want to talk about. We go in, do a two-hour block, maybe a small review after, um, take that three or four times a day, or sorry, a week, uh, and run through until there's kind of things that come up that are, are more substantial, and maybe then we'll have to raise the bar, uh, practice a little bit more, or maybe ease a little bit less, depending if it's like really, really busy. Um, these things do happen, and yeah. We try to stay flexible, but accommodating for people's time, targeting specific issues, uh, and being efficient with our time. Gotcha. Okay, well, we are running a little low on time here, so I believe this will be our last question, unless production throws a curveball at me. But Ago asks, any favorite players you worked with during your time as a coach and why? I would like to also add that not mentioning anyone is a diss towards them, so please choose wisely. Wow. That is such a dirty question. That is an underhanded very, question. Very straightforward question with a simple <laughs> answer here and there. Um, how, how, about I take, how about I take an example from pro play as to not <laughs> directly, <laughs> as to not directly, I think, throw anyone under the bus or, or play favorites. Um, because I've been, uh, I think, a part of professional play for a little bit now. Uh, it's given me good time to, I think, uh, just think retroactively. Um, 
being able to compare and contrast people between pro and collegiate is also really interesting. Um, you'll see a lot of similar personalities prop up, but they'll, I guess, like interact with people different because their their standard lives are so different. It's really cool. Um, but I'm going to say from pro play, I'll say Shu, who's currently on the LA Gladiators, might be one of my favorite players to have worked with because he didn't fit the mold of what uh, a player I thought should be like when playing pro. Um, Shu is really, really good at the game uh, mechanically, uh, but he's awful uh, at articulating why. Um, he's a player that is like plays a lot on instinct and gets away with uh, many, many things that I think your even your standard professional player should not get away with. So when talking to him and like drafting plays and and creating your strategies, um, he would disagree often because he's like, no, I can do this. And I'm like, no, there's no way. And then we go in, we try it and he gets away with it. And I have to say, okay, you've proved me wrong. I guess we can play this. Um, <laughs> and I think as a coach, you have to kind of understand when the player is right, uh, lean on their strengths and have faith. Um, maybe even if it defies a little bit of logic and or rationale, um, but He's also hilarious. He was a really nice guy, always upbeat, positive, thought every single fight was winnable, good or bad. Um, like had a, a strong enthusiasm and passion for the game as well. Um, so yeah, I think I would go with Shu. Still competing pro now. Please support uh, my boy. He's on the LA Glads, who I did say I think could potentially win the whole league. Um, and I refuse to answer a collegiate player as of the moment. <laughs> but maybe ask me again in five years when I'm doing something else potentially, and then I'll answer. Got it. Uh, what would you say are like some of the traits you'd, or like, let's say you have your ideal player. What are the traits you'd want to see in them? An like, ideal player? Beyond just like, wow, they're really good mechanically, right? But like, is there anything like personality wise? What is their motivation that you'd like to see? Oh, I see. Um, that's a good question. Depends on the context. Um, a big part of like my job, especially for things like tryout, is we're not necessarily looking for an ideal player. Uh, I will always go into tryouts with like a soft blueprint um, of like certain things people have to be able to do. Um, but there's large room for a team to kind of take on a life of its own with the people that show up, the personalities to be had. Um, a difference maker is what we like to call them. Uh, can pop up out of nowhere that really throws your your plans out the window. Um, so minor cop-out answer. I don't think an ideal player exists. If they did, they would all be like unemotional robots that played the game perfectly, which is like, just, that's not a thing that can happen. Um, that's why all our, our teams suck a lot of the time. You put a bunch of people together, they don't clash and it's, it's, it's awful. So even if on paper, I might say like five fakers in every position, um, who's to say that would work? Uh, I, I would say as long as the, the players have a strong fire and passion for the game um, and that they're not like inflammatory, like you're not toxic, um, the, the, that's like the bare minimum. Uh, the rest would be like the best mechanics I've ever seen, um, the cleanest person I've ever worked with, like players can be really messy, that's kind of gross. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, be articulate, be well-spoken. Um, that helps a lot. Uh, like just kind of talking things out. Um, multilingual could be handy. These are all just like random things that like quote unquote ideal player should have, but at the end of the day, be a good person, be a good teammate, try to be good at the game, have good time management. Let's say that <laughs> a hodgepodge <laughs> of all those things would make you a really, really great player. Okay. All right. Very, very last question. One sentence answer. It's from Grand Wu on the TSMU server. Why is Canada so cold? Why is Canada so cold? Yeah. I Yo. wish I knew. Here's the thing. It's not cold all the time. <laughs> it is so hot in the summer. It is just as hot as California, if not hotter. And I've lived in both places. I can say that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like the bad hot. It's like humid <laughs> hot. Yeah. It's like gross. I prefer dry, hot, like heat any day um i'm just roasting my own country now uh <laughs> it's 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 not that bad when you live here for a while like you'll it's you can always not wear that more. bad <laughs> like like listen hear me out right like okay if it's too hot you can only strip down to a certain point 
it's like at a certain point, it's no escape, right? But if it's cold, you can always add layers. So it, uh, it's like not a big deal. And which is which is why California is worse. Okay, well, case closed. Interview's over. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cut it there. I would like to thank everyone for attending both answer, asking questions in the TSMU Discord ask, or like talking in our Twitch chat. Um, thank you, Ron, again for your time. It was wonderful seeing you this once. Um, don't miss our Q&A next week on May 11th. That's a Wednesday at 5 p.m. with our very special guest, uh, Matt Fisher. He is the TSM performance coach. We talk about mental health and awareness. Um, but yeah, be sure to just come by and join the TSMU Discord as well. That's discord.gg forward slash TSMU. But until next time, I'm Jamel Aspen Hopkins. This was Ronald, I'm not going to say it, I don't think, Ren Lee, Assistant Director at USA Esports. Thank you to everyone, and we'll see Who's you next time. Who's tough it out now?